A delight to be with you this morning. Um, if you did not receive a little handout on the way in, Chris would be more than happy to come and, and grab you one. If you were not here last week and got the little bookmark that lets you know the roadmap ahead of what we'll be doing each week, he'll also be happy to grab you one of those. So if you just raise your hand if you need one of these, there we go. He'll come around and, and give you one of those. As you get your handout, you'll notice there's a lot of blank space in that handout. If you are a note taker, that's all the space for you to put any notes that you'd like to take in that space. Mine is filled in, yours is not. <laughs> all right, we'll wait till we get those handed out, either the handout or the bookmark, and then we will go before our Lord and we'll get started together. All right, let's pray together. Oh, gracious and merciful God, we come before you now as, Lord, we desire to know you more. God, we come to you in our feeble state. We come to you perhaps in a time that is in a deep, dark crucible of grief. And yet, we know that you are our God. And so, oh, Father, we pray that you would teach us, that you would help us to know you more, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help us to lift our eyes to the heavens. Oh, God, we thank you that you are the refuge above us, the tower around us, the rock beneath us. Father, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we are going through, that you are a God who is near, a God who is active in our lives at all times, a God that sees all, knows all, ordains all. Oh God, would you help us to trust you in every season of life? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother, for grabbing some chairs. It is a delight that you are all here this morning. We are beginning this 10-week journey through the biblical theology of grief. And I was sharing a little backstory. Typically, as God prepares you for seasons, he does that very intentionally. And yet, Grief is a part of the Christian life. Every single one of us who profess the Lord Jesus will suffer at times in this life. And during that suffering, we will experience real and raw emotion. Emotion that at times we don't know if that emotion will ever calm down, if it'll ever feel better. And so our time together from today through the next nine weeks is to look in the scriptures so that we're informed and we're guided by the scriptures, even in these deep, dark times of pain. We need to understand that the scriptures are sufficient for all things in the Christian life. We need to stand firm on the sufficiency of scripture. And I say that, and at the same time, we also need to be careful 
that when we minister to one another, as we will get to, I think it's week 10, ministering to one another, that though we stand firm on the scriptures, that we understand that we are dealing with one another in raw emotion, that we know how to care for one another, that we understand what it means when the Bible tells us to weep with those who are weeping. The Bible does not just say, give them a Bible verse about the sovereignty of God. The Bible says, in the reality of that grief, to grieve with them. The elders have so graciously given me this last month to prepare, and in that time of preparing, of reading many books and reading about the griefs of others, and I have wept along with the tears that were in those books. Many of you, going through many different forms of grief as well, have wept. And so the next nine weeks after today, including today being 10 weeks, is to address some of the questions that come to mind. Like, how are we to deal with grief? I mean, how is the believer to respond to the pains that life brings us? What is the believer to do with deep, deep grief? If you've been through deep grief, you've maybe even had some questions that arise. Things even like, does God even care? Why would a sovereign and good God allow this to happen in my life? Questions like, will the pain ever go away? Now, I don't think that these are foreign to many of us. I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have probably gone through grief. You have had seasons of sorrow. And in those times, these questions come up. Well, let me tell you that the goal of this study, of looking at the biblical theology of grief, is not so much to answer all of those questions. Rather, it's that at the end of a conclusion of 10 weeks, that we would see that there is sufficiency in Jesus Christ, that we can trust in Him entirely with all of our life, and that our faith would be strengthened. Now, before you get up and say, well, you're not going to have all the answers? Scripture doesn't give us all the answers. Scripture gives a, us a call to trust to trust in a sovereign God. And so this morning, we're basically doing a, a real high level looking at where did grief begin? Like, what is the origin of grief? But also, what is the future of grief? In the very beginning of your Bibles, and if you have a Bible with you, turn to the very, very beginning of your Bible. There is a beautiful refrain that we read in the very first chapter of Genesis. The recording of creation, all that God has created. We see this beautiful refrain. If you'd open up to the first page, Genesis chapter 1. Look with me at verse 10, at the very end of verse 10. What do we read? And God saw that it was good. 
Skip down with me to verse 12, the very end of verse 12. What do we read again? And God saw that it was good. Down to verse 18, the very end of verse 18. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, skim all the way down to the end of it. It's a long verse. And God saw that it was good. All the way down to verse 25 now. And God saw that it was good. And towards the end of the chapter 1, verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. This is God's creation. It was all good. Over and over and over again we get the refrain, it was good. Now stop and pause and I want you to think about what did creation look like as God created it? Do you know what was absent at that point? Sin. sin. And the result of sin. Which as we will see is pain and sorrow and death. And so in the opening pages of the Bible, we have this beautiful refrain, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. It's all good. Flip over to chapter 5 where we find the second refrain recorded in Scripture. Chapter 5 of Genesis, starting in verse 5, you read the last three words of that verse. And he died. Verse 8, the end of verse 8 of chapter 5. And he died. Verse 11, the end, last three words. And he died. Verse 14. And he died. Verse 17. And he died. Verse 20, and he died. Verse 27, and he died. Verse 31, and he died. What happened? We have this glorious and beautiful refrain in chapter 1. It was good. It was good. It was good. And by the time we get to chapter 5, it's, and he died, and he died, and he died. Now, I'm not teaching you anything new this morning. You know what occurred between those chapters. Let's go right smack in the middle of those chapters, Genesis chapter 3. Here we will see the beginning of pain, the beginning of sorrow, the beginning of grief. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read the chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I'm going to stop reading right there at the end of that verse opening refrain of Genesis is it was good. And yet we read that there was one who was crafty, one who knew how to scheme, one who, by the way, as we go over later, we're going to hear more about, who is still active in deceiving. And through his schemes says, did God really say and through not obeying in God's word and in doing what is right in their own eyes, sin comes into the world. Where we go from it was good, it was good, it was good, to and he died, and he died, and he died. This judgment that we read here in Genesis 3, this judgment from the fall, it brought physical it brought emotional, it brought relational pain that was not there prior. Prior to that, it was 
all good. The judgment itself, we read in Romans 8.22, that it cursed all of creation itself. This judgment from sin. So the origin of grief can be traced back to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Traced directly to sin. That sin came into the world through Adam and has corrupted every part of creation. And from that fall, rebellion has served as the root of all of our suffering, and sin has been the source of death. Many of us can quote, the wages of sin is, is, yes, the wages of sin is death. And so here we see the origin. Grief, then, is a response to the troubles of a fallen world. That's what grief is. It's the response to the fall. Grief itself, just defining grief, means weeping. It means sorrow. Grief can mean suffering. It is an emotion that comes as a result of our suffering. So let's quickly talk about Emotions. Do you know that God created emotions? That we can be joyful in Him? That we can praise Him? Think about some emotions that God Himself, being created in the image of God, God also displays, but God displays in a perfect way, where sometimes we don't. Let's take, for example, anger. The Bible says, be angry and, yeah, that's good, and do not sin. The Bible tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day, yet God is without sin. It is a perfect emotion. Do you know that God also grieves? God also grieves. In Genesis chapter 6, we read that God grieved over the wickedness of all that He had created. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10, and Ephesians 4.30, we read that the Holy Spirit is grieved because of our sin. Most of the Old Testament prophets, they spoke about God's judgment of Israel and how it grieved a holy God. Their sin would grieve. The rebellion would grieve a holy God. We see grief from the very beginning. If you still have Genesis open, would you turn over to the very next chapter? We just read chapter 3. Turn to chapter 4. Anybody know what the very next thing recorded in Scripture is that happens after the fall? You should have a, a, a subtitle or something to input it into your Bible. I heard it. Murder. Cain and Abel. The very next thing that happens after the fall that's recorded in Scripture is one brother against another. And you know what's interesting is that it doesn't record. Nowhere in Scripture do we see anything about how Adam and Eve responded to that. But if you've ever lost a child, what comes along with that? Grief. Grief entered the world 
immediately after the fall. Grief is something that God himself experiences, which means without the corruption of the fall, grief in and of itself is not sinful. But because of the fall, as we will look at in future weeks, there is possibility in all of our emotion that it being corrupted by the fall can become sinful. Going back to what I mentioned earlier, be angry and do not sin. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been angry and sinned? Before the fall, it was all good. There would have been perfect emotion that would not have been corrupted by the fall, that would have caused and led and had us yield to sin. But here's what we know. From the fall that we see here, starting, look, if you, if you just look at your Bible, that's how much was recorded. All the way, let me give you the, the medium in the middle. Here we go. All the way to there. Do you know what occurs in there? It's God's redemptive story in here. But along in that redemptive story is a lot of pain, is a lot of sorrow, is a lot of grief. So before you say, well, Robert, you're not really encouraging me this morning. <laughs> I, I thought I was coming to a, a class that was really going to lift my spirit and, and help me, but now you're just telling me that there's this big fat section of the Bible that speaks of sorrow and of pain. While we're here in this flesh, we will experience sorrow and pain, but we still have hope. In John chapter 16, verse 33, our precious Savior said these words. John 16, verse 33. He said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart I have overcome the world. If you're a believer here this morning, we have great hope in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that hope, uh, we can cling to that hope. But there's still the reality uh, of this deep, dark pain that will come into our lives at different seasons of life. But we don't grieve, as we'll look at a whole other week, we don't grieve without hope. We have a blessed hope. So the origin of sin, church, came in the garden. It came at the fall. That before that, all was good. And then after that, we see the result of sin. Death immediately comes in. And from sin, all forms of judgment comes upon mankind, relationally, emotionally, physically. And now there is pain and sorrow and suffering. And so if you're bummed out right now and you're like, well, that really got me down, let's look at the future of grief. Let, let's, let's change it up a little bit here. We've started at the very beginning of the Bible, literally the first page. I want you to turn to the very end of the Bible now. Revelation. We're going to go right before the very end. We're going to go to chapter 21 instead of to chapter 22. 
and look at the future of grief. Revelation chapter 21. By the way, for anyone teaching the Bible, the sound of Bible pages turning is a beautiful thing. I spoke with somebody else saying that we need to create a sound for tablets and phones that when you click on the verse, it just goes and it just sounds like pages turning because it's a glorious thing. Revelation chapter 21. Let's begin with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Look at verse 4 if you're not following along. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, anymore, for the former things have passed away. We stop there real quick. We'll keep reading, but that is a hallelujah moment because we know what pain and sorrow and suffering feels like. So we stop and we pause and we say hallelujah, but we keep reading. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This new creation, guess what is no longer there? Sin and the effects of sin. Would you just jump down with me to verse 27? Continuing that thought of the last verse we just read, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know what that does for you, but that stirs my soul. That there is a future for us where there is no corruption of sin where all who are there are labeled as it was good or it is good forevermore. No more corruption. No more sin. So in Genesis 3, we saw paradise lost. And in Revelation 21, we see paradise restored. Now, we want to be very careful in our time together that we don't minimize the pain that we go through. As I said, the Bible tells us to weep with one another. It does not tell us to tell each other to suck it up and get over it. It says weep. 
And so we need to be very careful in how we communicate to each other as we go through sufferings and sorrows. I want you to think about your own life real quick. As you get up in years, if you have had some years added to you where birthdays are no longer fun, (laughs) that you don't want to add another digit to your age, you can stop and pause and look back and it seems like time has gone so quickly. I'm 47 years old and I was talking with my son a while back ago and sorry he's here so be careful you always be in some type of teaching or a sermon if uh, you say something. And some song came on and he goes, oh these are oldies. And I thought, no they're not. (laughs) He said, yeah that's in the 80s. And I went, those are oldies. That's not oldies to me. But surely those are oldies now. And yet also I've learned as I've gotten older that I'm starting to talk like my dad and think like, I'm like, what happened? I used to be so upset with what they would say and do. And now I've become that. And all that has happened so quickly. My children have grown up. They've moved out of the house. Everybody said it would go by quickly, and it sure does. Just like that twinkling of an eye, so will this entire experience be on this earth. Even through our deepest, darkest times. Though those times feel like the clock just stops. Even in that We will look back and this is truly a vapor. It is gone like that. And yet what we see in Revelation chapter 21 is eternity. Where it is good. And it is good forevermore. And so though we live in this tension between the two, we know that There was this fall in in Genesis that we live in the middle of it, and yet we long and look for the future. In this present time, listen, this is the last time that we will grieve. Think on that for a moment. This is the last opportunity for us to go through suffering. Because when we are in eternity, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering. And in a twinkling of an eye, we will be with Him in glory. I included a verse, I typed it into your handout so you didn't have to write it down because I think there's a wonderful line by the Puritan Thomas Adams. You'll see at the bottom, we spend our years with sighing. It is a valley of tears, but death is the funeral of all our sorrows. It will come to an end. But there will be valleys in this time. And yet, in those valleys, God has given us the sufficiency of his word that we might know him. And that we might see that he has included in his word real, raw emotion. 
In a time of great grief, the Psalms may minister to you more than they've ever ministered to you before. Would you turn with me to the book of Psalms? As you flip through, let's go somewhere in between. Let's go to Psalm 61. Psalm 61, David begins here crying out to God. And he says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, David, as you are well aware, in reading many of the Psalms that he has penned, comes before God with raw emotion. He doesn't guard that. He comes to the one who knows him who knows everything about him. And yet he also comes to the one in, in his deep, dark despair. He comes to the one that he knows is the only one who can help. As we'll learn in future weeks, the best that we offer one another truly is to sit with one another in deep, dark grief, to be with one another, to show love and compassion, and to weep with one another. But we have one who is far greater, one who knows every detail of everything that we go through. And we can come to him in that deep, dark time and cry out in that raw emotion. The very next Psalm, David begins, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Now, now here's the beauty of this. David, as he comes before God, guess what? He is shaken. David comes and says, look, it's only when I turn to God, it's only when I look to him that I will not be shaken. Church, in our grief, as we will continue to see over the course of these next weeks, that God is always willing and ready for us to come to him in those deepest, darkest times. And that we can come to him and don't have to put on old English and, and be all proper in our prayer. But we can come to him still in reverence that he is a holy and good God. But he already knows what's going on inside. That we come to him in that real raw emotion and seek refuge in him and him alone. Would you turn to Psalm 130 with me? how this psalm begins in Psalm 130. Out of the depths 
I cry to you, O Lord. If you have gone through a season of deep, dark grief, you know the depths that the psalmist speaks of. It is out of those depths this psalmist says, I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who, sh who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Psalmist here crying out that that forgiveness that is only found in the Lord, but the result of what is crying out is still takes us back to the garden. It is what has happened as a result of sin. Grief, all forms of grief, is the result of sin. It is in the Lord that we find the answer to all that. It is in the Lord that we find our strength. It is in the Lord that we find our refuge. And so as we continue to journey through these studies, foundationally, we need to know the origin and the future. That it began in the garden. That prior to that, God made it and it was good. And yet all that he made that was good is going to be redeemed completely in the end. And the future of grief is that it is gone. There will be no more pain and no more sorrow. And that he will wipe away every tear. I told you that these 10 weeks of us studying together is really a journey of faith. It's learning to trust in God, even in the deepest, darkest times of life. And one thing that God has blessed us with is song. Song that even is described as the fruit of walking in the spirit, that we would be singing these things. And it is in those times of despair that, yes, we might remember the word of God and the truth of God, but we would also rejoice through song. And so on the back of your handout, you will find a song that if you find yourself here this morning in the grief I have spoken of, in deep, dark grief, it may sting as you sing this song. But the prayer and the hope is after us doing this for 10 weeks that this will become an anthem of our souls. Oh God, we thank you that you are indeed a sovereign God, a God who we can trust in the deepest, darkest times of our lives. God, would you continue to help us to draw near to you, to cling to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is you who is sustaining us through all of these things, that it is you who has begun a good work and is faithful to complete it. Oh, God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's continue to worship over on the other side. Thank you, baby. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it.